Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. And I hope you're in the mood for some DDT because I sure am. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we bring you a biography episode on Mr. DDT himself, Harashima. We both really enjoyed doing these biography episodes and felt that it would be fitting to cover another unsung ace of the Purarasu landscape, much like in our Suwama episode. Harashima really is an incredible figure in DDT, and it was exciting to learn about the full story of his career and the effect it had on the promotion. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So there really isn't much written about Hiroshima's early life, and his shoot name and birthplace and family details are still largely concealed from the general public. However, there is a good amount written about his time in university and how that affected who he is as a wrestler today. So I really wanted to touch on that and go into as much detail there as I could. My two main sources for this episode were from a special talk issue of Shukan Pro Wrestling in 2015 with Shoe Pro Editor-in-Chief Masayuki Sato and a 2013 Shoe Pro interview by Asahiro Kato with both Hiroshima and Togi Makabe, who you will soon learn was a very important figure in the early to mid stages of Hiroshima's career. Hiroshima graduated from Tokyo University in the Department of Education, class of 1998. While there, he was a member of the Professional Wrestling Study Group Club and was an active student wrestler. He refers to this organization as Gakupro, which was taken from the word for school, Gako. There were about 13 to 14 first-year members in the club when Hiroshima joined, and that was just the first-year members. So the club at this university was actually quite large, which contrasts to some of the schools we've talked about in other biography episodes, some of which didn't even have a professional wrestling club at all, such as Sancho Takagi's. One of the techniques Hiroshima recalled using in the club was practicing taking bumps on a big air mattress outside in the field behind the school. This was just so interesting to me because it also contrasts to people like Suwama, who first learned taking bumps through judo's ukemi before eventually learning how to do it in wrestling dojos. Though there is not much written on Hiroshima's early background in childhood, it is clear that from the beginning, he was focused and uniquely trained to become a professional wrestler, even before entering the DDT dojo. So... Hiroshima was my way of getting into DDT when you were teaching me about DDT and you and I became (laughs) friends. And one of the things I found the most interesting about him is that you really can't get any information about his early life. And we know that wrestlers in Japan tend to be extremely private. It's really hard to get private life details from many of them. However, Hiroshima is really unique in that you can't even get those like early childhood sort of memories from him. There's just none of that available. After spending this much time learning about Hiroshima in the way that you have and and sort of looking at these articles, do you have a guess as to why he's like that and, and why that plays into maybe his character? Why he's so private? I really don't know. Um, In a little bit, I'm going to talk about his debut and his initial character as Hero. And um, I think there's a sense of um, power 
like sort of that masked hero persona kind of thing that he enjoys, that he likes being this um, secretive sort of masked hero kind of character. And I think there might be an influence there that having that alter ego is something that he enjoys and values. Um, Obviously, I don't know a lot about his childhood, but going off of what I've learned there, I think that he probably liked that sort of thing as a child. Um, He mentions, and I'm going to say this again later, that Hero was a character that he took on because he wanted to be a wrestler that kids liked. So I think that there's something there that that you know anonymous nature and you know he could just be a private person but i think that there's um sort of a childhood influence childlike influence as well that's really interesting because a lot of this makes me think of someone like kento miyahara who is very clear and that he does not want to talk about his personal life to, he wants you to think his personal <laughs> life is this fantasy world and like you're not supposed to know anything that happens within that world which is really interesting, but you still know a lot about his childhood, his education, and when he started learning wrestling. So I just think it's really interesting that Hiroshima is someone where like, you can't really get those details even at all, but perhaps that even plays into things post-hero, which we'll get into as well. Yeah, yeah, it is very, very interesting. And um, the things that we do know are things that come into practice during his career, which I'm going to talk about very, very shortly with uh, Mr. Togi Makabe. (laughs) So uh, going back sort of to the uh, school wrestling and Gakko Pro, it is traditional for university students in these uh, pro wrestling clubs to wrestle under a name that is usually either a dirty joke, a parody of another wrestler's name, or both. Uh, For Hiroshima, he revealed at a fan club event that he first chose the name Shimabari no Rongo before his debut as a student wrestler. This is a combination of Shimabari no Ron, a famous rebellion in the Edo period of Japan, and the word for orgy, Rongo. He then stated that he immediately changed it and never wrestled under this name. So he actually debuted as Ashura Hiroshima, a combination of Ashurahara and his own name. So I do think Hiroshima is at least part of his shoot name. So there's a little clue there. In his second year onward, he wrestled as Hayabusa, a parody of the late great Hayabusa. In his third year, Hiroshima was elected president of the club. One memory that Hiroshima cited from this club was squatting endlessly in unbearable heat in the staircase of the school. Upon returning there for the first time in 15 years, along with Togi Makabe, the first thing that Hiroshima did was find the staircase landing and immediately began squatting in it. That was just really funny. One of his seniors in the club was none other than NJPW's Togi Makabe. So that's where he comes in, in which the two had a surprisingly close relationship despite only knowing each other for a year. Uh, reporter Asahiro Kato sat down with both Makabe and Hiroshima in a relaxed conversation at their alma mater to discuss this senpai kohai bond and their careers to date. I wanted to talk a little bit about that piece now, and I will be referring to it throughout the episode. The whole article is really sweet and really heartfelt and speaks a lot for who Hiroshima is today as both a wrestler and a senior to his own juniors in DDT. Hiroshima was in his first year when Makabe was in his fourth year in the professional wrestling study group. 
Upon first meeting him, Makabe first thought Hiroshima seemed like a really serious guy, but upon getting to know him, Makabe found him, and I quote, to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> However, they both got along because they both enjoyed the mixed martial arts side of wrestling and connected over that. One thing that Makabe and Hiroshima both recalled was Hiroshima's intense focus on strength, which goes back to Suwama a little bit. So I really enjoyed enjoyed that detail, but it's something that both he and uh, Makabe related to. Makabe was already aiming to join the New Japan Dojo after university during this time. So he would begin his own self-training before the usual practice, arriving before anyone else in the club. He held the keys to the club room and just went at it super early. And this stood out to Hiroshima, who even to this day remembers watching his seniors back in admiration. In a 2020 interview where Hiroshima ranks his most inspirational wrestlers, he cites watching Makabe doing sit-ups in the club room well before practice as a reason that he himself grew into a wrestler who willingly and diligently trains. One of the most vivid memories I personally have of Hiroshima is during the lockdown phase of the pandemic in Japan. Hiroshima would frequently post daily exercises on Twitter from his house, encouraging his followers to try them, all with this cheerful kind of sadistic little smile on his face. He stated that it was important to keep training even in a lockdown. So it's great to see how this diligent attitude towards training began and how it's persisted even to this very day. And we'll definitely post some of the photos from the article. It's actually from a shoe pro that I own, but that was something where I, um, I think it's a, probably a cover I bought because of the people on the cover. I can't remember who's <laughs> on it right now, but I remember when I was going through it and I found the article and I had to message Rachel and be like, why are they together? Like it was, it felt so random. Yeah. <laughs> so hearing about their memories of, of really each other and, you know, just how much Hiroshima clearly admires him is so fascinating. And it just, it continues, like it just goes on through their entire careers. And we'll talk about that. But it's a surprisingly deep relationship. It's very sweet. It was a very, very sweet article. And I'm glad that you, uh, you have that issue. I'm glad that you sent it my way. I really am. And the the pictures are really nice. So hopefully we'll get those up there. So um, moving on sort of into his career, once again, not a whole lot is known about his training into debuting, his time in the dojo, that kind of thing. But in his sit-down interview with ShoePro's editor-in-chief, he did state that before joining the dojo and debuting as a wrestler, he worked in the DDT ring shop along with fellow future wrestler Yasu Yurino. I'm going to talk a little bit about them, but they did maintain a close relationship throughout their entire career. He did train through the Dramatic Dream Team Dojo, and Hiroshima made his professional wrestling debut on February 15th, 2001, under the name Konica Man. However, a few months after, on August 12th in Akihabara, he re-debuted officially under the name HERO, all caps, styled with an exclamation mark after the name. On talking on the character of Hero, Hiroshima stated, and I mentioned this earlier, that he wanted to create a type of professional wrestler that children could enjoy. And I really just want to state that again, because I do think that speaks towards his attitude and childlike enthusiasm towards wrestling. It's just a really cute detail. In December 29th, 2003, 
Hero won his first belt in DDT when he won the KOD Tag Team Championship with Kudo at Currican Hall. This duo went on to win the Tag Championship again a year later in 2004 on September 30th. In 2004, Togi Makabe produced his Lions Road events for young wrestlers. Hiroshima, still known as Hero at the time, participated in the second of these events on November 8th, 2004. Afterwards, Makabe made a wry comment towards Hiro, stating, flying and jumping around? Is there really fight in that? So sort of just teasing his uh, kohai a little bit. It was it's very cute. Mm-hmm. In 2005, he started tapping into a more aggressive side of himself and started teaming with Toru Owashi as Dark Side Hero, officially turning heel. He also became the 20th KOD Tag Team Champion alongside Awashi. In January of 2006, at the very first show of the year, Dark Side Hero unmasked to wrestle under the name Hiroshima, forming the heel unit known as Disaster Box with Awashi and Shogo Takagi. However, he ended up leaving the unit in October of 2006 after Awashi suddenly declared that Disaster Box would become a babyface unit. Hiroshima took umbrage at this change in direction, and they butted heads with each other before Hiroshima ultimately decided to leave. Now, Hiroshima talked just a little bit about this character progression with Makabe in their joint interview, stating, After Hiro, I turned heel and fought a bit sharply, but before I knew it, I was just fighting as myself, talking about how he was able to become less and less of a character and more true to himself during this early era of his wrestling, which I think is very important, especially as we talk about him later on. I was going to say too, um, I've watched a lot of these hero matches because I actually bought this DVD from Japan of like Hiroshima's early matches. And it goes to like a certain period of his career. And one of the things about like Hiroshima as this like, when he's masked, he's like as this hero character. Yeah. He is really someone that, um, as much as maybe that appealed to him at the time, like taking the mask off for him is like one of the best things that he could have ever done. And we'll get into this as we as we kind of move through the later parts of his career. But he's someone who like really relies on his facial expressions to connect to the crowd um, and tell stories. And so it's like though it's really a revelation to like watch him come out of that period with like the mask because it just makes his wrestling um so much better and he really starts to become a much more compelling figure in the ring after that yeah i am really really glad you mentioned that because we are going to talk about that and we're going to talk about his facial expression and character work in general um because it is you're right it's so 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 important and um it was it's like i said he mentioned it in this interview that it was just very important that he was able to sort of free himself and uh wrestle as himself it it came very natural to him once that mask was off on December 29th, 2006, at the last Currican Hall show of the year, Hiroshima defeated Toru Awashi to win his very first KOD Openweight Championship. So took off the mask and now now we're a champion. Uh, he did end up losing to Ku, now known as Shuji Ishikawa, on July 3rd, 2007 at Currican Hall, only to regain it from Ku once again that October on the 21st. In 2007, he participated in the third Differ Cup with Kota Ibushi. In the finals, the duo faced a K-Dojo team of Ken no Masashi and Enka. 
but they lost, finishing as the runner-ups for the tournament. After losing the KOD to Dick Togo on May 6, 2008, in a really wild five-way elimination match, I love that match, uh, Hiroshima fell into a brief slump. However, this did not last long, as on October 26, 2008, he reunited with Toru Awashi and Disaster Box to become the 27th KOD Tag Team Champions at Currican Hall. They would, however, lose these belts on January 24th, 2009 to Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. This is the first real time Ibushi would become a threat to Hiroshima's title as ace. On May 4th, 2009, Hiroshima defeated Sanshiro Takagi to regain the KOD openweight title for a third time. He managed to defend this title two times before Rogoku Peter Pan, I Won't Grow Up, on August 23rd, 2009. In our biography episode on Sanshiro Takagi, we discussed the monumental importance of this first Peter Pan at great length. This was DDT's biggest show to date and their first time at Rogoku Kokugikan. Furthermore, this show was a huge risk for the company, betting their financial well-being on the success of this show. As such, DDT needed a huge main event, and they needed to deliver on all cylinders. Kota Ibushi, an extremely athletic fan favorite in DDT, ended up challenging Hiroshima at the show. Like Hiroshima, Kota Ibushi had been on the fast track to success in DDT. During this match, Hiroshima could feel Ibushi's status as an ace for the company chasing him down as he desperately tried to push the other man back. However, it proved to not be enough, and Ibushi debuted his Phoenix Plex powerbomb against Hiroshima and overpowered him. Hiroshima lost the title to Ibushi, and then just like that, Ibushi had been made, and DDT had two aces in their company. So after losing the KOD to Kota Ibushi, Hiroshima really felt stuck in his situation. To break himself out of this slump, he decided to challenge his old university senior, Togi Makabe. I, I mean it when I say that Makabe is super, super important. He felt that facing a huge wall like his old senpai would help him overcome his challenges. He had hoped to have this match on March 14th, 2010, calling Makabe out to the center of the ring. Normally, it would be impossible for a huge NJPW name to enter an indie ring at this time in 2010, but Makabe, a senior who dearly loves his juniors, took the challenge in order to, and I quote, help show Hiroshima the way. Makabe would ultimately win this match, but Hiroshima recounted even in his 2020 interview about how much it really helped him get back on track. This match is actually really sweet because the story was that Hiroshima did not actually know if Makabe would accept or not. Of course, this is, you know, some kayfabe stuff, but it was just really cute. You get this really nice moment where he's out in the ring calling out from Makabe and then immigrant song starts playing and Hiroshima looks like he is about to start crying when his senior comes out to the ring to face him. I recommend taking a look into that match for the intro alone, but the actual match is quite good. 
In their 2013 joint interview, Hiroshima does make note of how significant this match was for DDT as well. He stated that nowadays, or in 2013, um, exchanges between groups are more common. However, three years prior in 2010, there were a lot of relationships that, and I quote, DDT had not been able to realize yet. I'm going to touch on this just a little bit later as well. On May 30th, Hiroshima won a tournament held at Shinkaba First Ring to determine the next KOD Openweight Challenger to challenge Daisuke Sukimoto at the 2010 Rogoku Peter Pan on July 25th. Sukimoto was both a dominant challenger and an outsider to the company, rampaging the DDT ring, as Kato so succinctly writes in his 2013 article. Hiroshima felt he needed to seek guidance and strength before the match and went to train with Togi Makabe in the NJPW dojo, seeking to experience the history and heavy atmosphere of New Japan by training there. With that strength, Hiroshima was successful in defeating Sakamoto and bringing the KOD openweight title home to DDT, regaining it for the fourth time. On October 26, 2010, Yukihiro Abe, who was an apprentice to Disaster Box, joined under Awashi, and the three were crowned UWA World Six-Man Tag Team Champions. However, they would eventually vacate the titles due to Toru Awashi's original retirement at the time. He does come back, but that was sort of the end of Disaster Box. Hiroshima eventually lost the KOD to Hikaru Sato, on November 14th, 2010. So on April 6, 2011, Hiroshima was confronted by a new version of Hiro who looked suspiciously like Minoru Fujita. Hiroshima was entirely perplexed by this. However, GM Aman Surumi stepped in and explained that he himself was a huge fan of Hiro and wanted Hiroshima to consider forming a tag team with this new version of his alter ego. Hiroshima complied, and the two won the tag titles on June 24, 2011 against Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa. They would, however, lose these titles to Daisuke Sekimoto and Masa Takanashi at Rogoku Peter Pan 2011. In August, Hiroshima's other alter ego, Dark Side Hero, debuted and turned on Hiroshima alongside Hero, sparking a feud between Hiroshima and his two previous alter egos. Hiroshima de- defeated both men in singles matches, Hero on September 18th and Dark Side Hero on October 5th. This officially ended the storyline, and Hero and Dark Side Hero both returned to, quoting the backstage comments, their home planet, which is appropriately known as Hero Planet. This was a really funny storyline, but I did think it was kind of cool that Hiroshima was literally physically putting the past to rest through the storyline. So I thought it was definitely worthy of noting. Symbolically, really, really cool for him. Yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed that story. And of course it is very funny, but, um, cause it is DDT, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really cool that they sort of gave him that moment and gave him a story to sort of put himself behind himself as it were for DDT's first trip to the Nippon Budokan on August 18th, 2012 for the promotion's 15th anniversary, Hiroshima had a special tag match with scheduled with Shuji Ishikawa and Ryuji Ito. 
On July 22nd at Currican Hall, he commented that he would bring a special partner for the match. Can you guess who it is, Alicia? None other than his senior, of course, Togi Makabe. It was, sure was Togi Makabe. He appeared on the screen. Everyone was super excited. A week later, Makabe appeared in the ring to this huge crowd reaction of clapping and cheers to stand alongside his former Kohai. Ishikawa proposed a hardcore stipulation for the tag match, and surprising everyone, Hiroshima and Makabe both readily agreed. And this match sure was a hardcore match. Um, Hiroshima was absolutely drenched in blood by the end of it, thanks to hardcore specialist Ito. Um, However, with their senpai kohai bond, Hiroshima was able to overcome with a gorgeous swan dive somato. And that's kind of the cool thing about Hiroshima in terms of like like his style he's been involved in every type of match there's not one oh boy has he yeah Yeah, exactly you can't really pin him down to one particular style and I think actually isn't one he's got many nicknames but isn't one of his nicknames like king of the indies isn't that something that he's been called before Mm -hmm. yeah and I think oh absolutely He's been to a lot of places and he's um, fought in so many different styles of matches. And like, you can, you can just get a different version of Hiroshima and just in like you know, all these different promotions and all these different types of matches. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's not like he particularly plays a different version of himself. He's just a very versatile guy. Um, you, he's always Hiroshima. He is always himself he is always peak himself even if he's wearing silver like he does in boys or red like he does in hard hit or his normal blue and silver like he's still himself but he is just extremely versatile he's he's just an everything guy like you said king of the indies uh, there's really no better name for him than that shortly after on september 30th 2012 Hiroshima formed a stable of DDT veterans with Yasuyurno and Kudo, known succinctly as Urashima Kudo, to feud with the youth movement of Team Drift or Team Dream Futures, which we mentioned in our episode on DDT factions. I do, however, think it's really important to note that Hiroshima has, 11 years into his career at this point, become something of a veteran gatekeeper to the younger generation of DDT, while still very much being in the forefront of the company. And this is going to continue and sort of evolve as we go on from this point. This team was fairly successful, with Hiroshima and Urano winning the KOD tag team belts from Tatsumi Fujinami and Mikami defending the titles four times before losing to Hikaru Sato and Yukio Sakaguchi on May 3rd, 2013. However, the focus was always on their feud with Team Drift. This escalated all the way to Rogoku Peter Pan on August 18th. On July 7th, Hiroshima defeated Kenny Omega in the finals of the King of DDT tournament and earned the right to challenge Team Drift's Shigehiro Iri for his KOD title. Just ahead of this match, which this match is absolutely incredible, Iri and Hiroshima have crazy good chemistry. Uh, Hiroshima did receive a letter from Togi Makabe encouraging him to win the match, particularly with the words, Hiroshima, show me real wrestling. 
he read this letter out loud before the match in a really, really beautiful pre-match package, which also included Erie reading a letter of encouragement from Shinjiro Atani. Erie cries while reading it. It's, it's just, it's really worth, it's really worth seeking out and watching. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, Hiroshima cited this letter of encouragement and the idea, show me the real thing, as the reason he was able to find strength and go on and win the match. That's incredible. That's so lovely. It's such a good VTR. <laughs> I'm tearing up as I think of it again, but Hiroshima's, you know, sort of like laughing as he reads it in the most Hiroshima way. And then Eerie just starts crying and it's, it's just very good. There's a lot of feeling in that, uh, in that whole match. Um, like I said, if you really want a good, just intro match for Hiroshima, seek out any match he has with Eerie because they really have just great chemistry. On October 20th, 2013, Hiroshima won the Ironman Heavy Metal Weight Championship for the first time since 2002, which I thought was very interesting because that match, yeah, <laughs> that belt changes hands like every other day. But he hadn't won it, you know, in 11 years at that point. Um, well, successfully, and he he won it in an actual match, a uh, double title match against Dan Shokudino. On November 4th, Hiroshima continued his dominance, defeating Antonio Honda for the DDT Extreme Championship, becoming a triple crown champion in the process. Very exciting. After losing the Ironman Heavy Metalweight Championship to Masa Takanashi on January 13th, 2014, Takanashi made a challenge to the KOD Openweight title on February 23rd. He did defeat Takanashi. However, after this match, Kudo quit Urshi Makudo and challenged Hiroshima for his title. On March 1st, Hiroshima lost the DDT Extreme Championship to Don Shokodino. Hiroshima's misery continued at Judgment 2014 on March 21st when Kudo defeated Hiroshima to win the KOD Openweight Championship. However, Hiroshima kept fighting back, he would not be kept down, and he formed the new stable, Smile Squash, with longtime friend Yasu Yurino and newcomer Akito in order to combat Kudo and his stable, Shuten Doji. We also talk a little bit about that during our DDT Factions episode. This worked out well for Hiroshima, and on May 25th, he won back the KOD Openweight Championship from Kudo. By the end of 2014, he was considered DDT's absolute champion, having defended the KOD a staggering seven times against a whole list of competitors such as Kenny Omega, Kesuke Ishii, Isami Kodaka, Soma Takao, and Shigihira Iri, and Kenny Omega and Isami Kodaka together in a triple threat. So he, he's done a couple. He took them on twice. Uh, many people thought he would be nominated for Tokyo Sports MVP of the Year. However, he was not selected for MVP or any of the three major awards. However, on December 31st, he was named MVP of Samurai TV's Indie Awards for 2014. The reason I mention this is because he states in a 2015 interview with uh, Masayuki Sato that he was pretty frustrated by that, he had really hoped to have been nominated in Tokyo sports after the year he had. 
Um, and I want to note at this point, he has not ever won a Tospo award, um, which kind of breaks my heart, but I, I did want to throw that out there. Uh, he did ultimately accept this with grace, stating that in the Indie Awards, it comes from an audience that really care and appreciate indie wrestling. So winning MVP from them made him feel happy and gave him strength. This is always so interesting to me because like the Tokyo Sports Awards were never a thing I really thought about until Shio lost after uh, the year that he had with his fourth mm-hmm. team. And he also took that not that great when it was first yeah. announced he was it really affected him it really affected him he was he was pretty upset and for me because all of that stuff is so subjective and you know it doesn't necessarily like feel like it's like just like a magazine award like whatever it's like this like yeah let's name oh, for sure. deciding this but it's interesting to reflect on like shio's reaction to it and also harashima's because they also have like these very similar like overlaps sometimes too and like how they can be in the ring so there's like that component but it's just like it's interesting to sit with like how much something like that does mean to these guys because I guess of the prominence of that award I suppose in the industry but it's not something I ever thought about until very recently and actually I want to I want to throw out another one at you um Fuji was disappointed when he and Hiroshima did not win tag team of the year award after their reign um, he he had really expected it and he was disappointed that they had not won either. So it's yeah, it is. You you raise a good point. It's a uh, back room filled with a lot of editors just sort of throwing around their opinions. But it does really affect these wrestlers and they do really pay attention to it. So it's it's important to know, especially among aces, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. aces apparently that take a lot of umbrage with this. But no, it's fascinating. Very fascinating. So uh, on February 15th, 2015, 14 years to the day after Hiroshima's first official DDT debut, Kota Ibushi challenged for his KOD title, their first singles match in five and a half years at Saitama Super Arena, which was DDT's biggest venue to date. Having these two men main event such a big and historic event, not just once, but twice, really speaks to the importance of this rivalry and their status as aces for the company. And that feeling of having dual aces in a company is not unusual, but it's interesting as Hiroshima and Ibushi never really shared that same dynamic that a lot of companies do with an aging ace and a young and up and coming ace, such as what we've covered already with Jumbo Misawa, Okada Tanahashi, Sawama Kento, things like that. There was no real big passing of the torch or anything like that. You could argue that the 2009 match was like that, but Hiroshima was still a very prominent ace at the time. So the two existed as ace on the same caliber at the exact same time. Sato, in his interview, stated that Ibushi turned a lot of heads towards DDT in 2015, as he was also competing in NJPW at the time, and had gained a huge following for his athletic ability and charisma. So, of course, the next natural question that he asked was if Hiroshima was jealous of his fellow ace. And Hiroshima stated that he wasn't sure if he felt jealousy or not, because Ibushi drew a lot of NJPW fans to DDT venues. 
He stated that this was a good way for fans to get to know the DDT athletes and states that it would be totally fine if these NJPW fans got to know Hiroshima that way. However, actually watching the match, Hiroshima was really broken when he lost. Um, He lost just as he did in 2009, and the disappointment on his face is palpable. And Alicia, you had stated it before, and we've talked about it in the past. It's impossible not to feel emotion in Hiroshima, especially when he loses, especially on the big stage. And it's something we're going to refer to again later on in several different matches. And I've told you how I felt about that comment about how he wasn't sure if he felt jealousy or not. Oh, yeah. I wasn't entirely certain that was that was true, at least from a character standpoint. And, and you really start to see that with his younger rivals as we get into some of those Mm -hmm. conversations for later in his career but as we'll discuss it's not necessarily jealousy in the standard definition of jealousy but we'll talk about that too yeah I I think it is really something worth bringing up and again I'm sure we'll talk about it again but um I think there's an honesty to him valuing what Ibushi brought to the company while working in NJPW. And he really does value DDT's future and it gaining more fans and, and getting up there. And there's some really good quotes I'm going to pull at the end of this episode um, in regards to that. And I, I genuinely think he does care about that, but he cares about his own you know, strength, as we mentioned too. He has his own search for strength and he has his own Uh, value in his own personal success and so i think that really shows in the ring so it's it's good to bring that up on april 29th he did regain the kod title from ibushi at kuriken uh this put him at seven runs with the belt this officially surpassed the record held by former ace and current company president sanshiro takaki However, he lost this belt in short order to Kudo on May 31st, only a month later. On August 23rd, 2015, he had a massive marquee singles match with Hiroshi Tanahashi at Rogoku Peter Pan 2015 from DDT with Love. He did lose this match, but this is a very, very, very significant match, especially at the time. On June 28th, 2015, Tanahashi made a surprise appearance at DDT's Kirk and Hall show, specifically to announce his appearance at Rogoku and to challenge, and I quote, the best wrestler in DDT, Hiroshima. Hiroshima stated that he had very little interest in outside wrestlers at this point, but was interested in facing Tanahashi. This match was booked as the dramatic dream match, can't really deny that title, And at the time, Tanahashi had won the 2015 G1 and was going into this match as the G1 winner. So Hiroshima referred to him, and I quote, as the most delicious opponent, which I just thought was a really funny little quote. After the match, Hiroshima offered to shake hands, but Tanahashi refused and expressed his frustrations towards Hiroshima in a post-match interview, stating that he did not feel as though Hiroshima truly brought his A-game. Though Tanahashi was not strictly working heel in 2015, during his time in DDT, he was full arrogant heel mode, acting as though he was God's gift to wrestling and making extremely disparaging remarks about the company. 
And this really works because in both this match and the following tag match I'm going to talk about, the crowd absolutely hated Tanahashi. Like the heat he got was insane and they were just doing her. Yeah. In order to lift up Hiroshima, they would do anything. <laughs> They would do anything for Hiroshima, and uh, that meant booing Tanahashi. These comments did ignite a lot of bad blood on Hiroshima's end, and he went out seeking revenge. He got a modicum of redemption on November 17th when he faced Tanahashi and young lion Yohei Kamatsu, now known as Yo, alongside Ken Oka. Though it wasn't a direct pin, Hiroshima and Oka were able to outwit the NJPW pair, and Hiroshima pinned Komatsu for the win. Tanahashi then showed respect towards DDT in a way that you can only do in DDT, and so he put on his own Super Sasadango machine-esque PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and finally, he fist-bumped Hiroshima to wrap up their short but incredibly satisfying storyline together. And of course, I have to go back and mention Sawama. Uh, who set out during the 2008 Champion Carnival to push out the heel outsider Tanahashi, just as you mentioned in that uh, Sawama episode. And I really do think there is something to be said both about Tanahashi's ability to highlight these ace figures in their home company, but also in these ace figures standing up to protect their home. I definitely think there's a direct parallel there. This um, this series with Tanahashi, though brief, was really my introduction to um, Hiroshima along mm. with the Marafuji Hiroshima tag title run. And those those matches with Tanahashi are outstanding. I mean, if, if you're someone who's listening to this and you haven't had a chance to watch those yet, they are phenomenal. It is like top tier work from Tanahashi who gets like the people in the venues like that are, that are booing him. Like, especially that one, I think it's in Corrigan. Mm, um, that one's loud. Like, they're getting like kind of physical with Tanahashi too, yeah. as he's walking to the ring. Cause like, there's like, like, that's the kind of bad blood that he has like ignited in um, the fans, which is really fascinating. And then Hiroshima is, it's like, that's the stuff that really made me like kind of fall in love with him in the way that he, in the way that he wrestles and the way that he was able to, um, to really stand up to, to Tanahashi. I remember those matches with a lot of fondness. So definitely check those out. Yeah, it was really good. And we also have a match with uh, Takeshita as well, just throwing back uh, Tanahashi's time in DDT. That's also definitely worth checking out. So please, please, please look into that. And we will provide the links to that in the show notes. Um, I do also want to note, though, that a lot of these big relationships and partnerships in DDT circle around Hiroshima, even if during the storyline he claimed to not really be interested in wrestling outside talent. When it comes to these big marquee names and matches, Hiroshima is their go-to man, and he is always treated as the icon and representative of the company when the matches happen. It's really similar, and I need to throw this out, to the way multiple interpromotion relationships in NOAA branch out from and connect back to Naomichi Marafuji, which we discussed actually in our NOAA Factions episode. And of course, Marafuji himself would become very important to Hiroshima's own career in years to come. On February 28th, 2016, Hiroshima became the number one contender for the KOD Openweight Championship when he once again defeated Shigehiro Iri. Then at Judgment 2016, DDT's 19th anniversary, 
Hiroshima defeated Isami Kodaka for his eighth KOD Openweight Championship reign. However, he would only hold this belt for 34 days and defend it against Kenoka and Kazusada Higuchi when Daisuke Sasaki appeared and cashed in his Anytime Anywhere contract to take the belt from Hiroshima. This is really a mark of Damnation's rise to prominence in DDT and marks a change in DDT's landscape. But it also highlights who Hiroshima is as an ace of the company, as his feud with Damnation really cements them as a dissenting force in DDT. What better way to become a heel than to push back against the symbol of the company itself? In the summer... Yuko Miyamoto joined Spy- Smile Squash, teaming with Hiroshima as Smile Yankees. At Rogoku Peter Pan 2016, Smile Yankees defeated Kai and Ken Oka to win the KOD Tag Team Championships. On September 25th, Smile Yankees defeated Daisuke Sasaki and Tetsuya Endo to make their first successful title defense. However, the pair of Sasaki and Endo were granted a rematch on October 9th, which they won, taking the belt from the Smile Squash duo. This feud eventually built up to Hiroshima facing off against the young Endo Tetsuya on October 23rd, 2016. He won this singles match and was granted a title shot against then-champion and another member of Damnation, Shuji Ishikawa. He defeated Ishikawa on December 4th and won the KOD for a staggering ninth time. He defended his belt for 106 days this time against Erie, Mike Bailey, and Daisuke Sasaki before losing the title on March 20th, 2017 to new up-and-coming ace, Konosuke Takeshita. I wanted to note this match specifically for two critical reasons. One was that this match was on Judgment 2017, DDT's 20th anniversary show. Much like Kota Ibushi defeating Hiroshima at Rogoku Kokugikan and Saitama Super Arena, this was a huge star-making moment for Takeshita, really solidifying himself as the ace of the company and someone to watch in the coming years. Two, I wanted to note the finish and post-match. The finish is really decisive, with Takeshita crossing Hiroshima's arms as he pins him putting him to rest as he creates a new future for DDT. It's actually a little bit haunting to watch it. Um, But the post-match itself is actually pretty sweet. Into the Light begins to play as the end credits for the show. And the final moments we see is Hiroshima and Takeshita sharing a fist bump. Hiroshima attempted to leave to give Takeshita the spotlight, but Takeshita pointedly stops him so that they could leave the ring together. There's a sense of equality here, and this feeling of the turning of the tides in DDT. The younger generation is now falling into step with Hiroshima. This loss, to me, marks a huge change in Hiroshima's character and role in DDT, going from this irreplaceable ace to truly the backbone of DDT that can make or break a young star. This change could really be felt starting in the summer of that year. On June 25th, 2017, Hiroshima once again reached the finals of King of DDT, but fell to 
Endotetsia. And this match, I actually think I sent this match to you, Alicia. Um, it's Oh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's such a key example to that feeling of the youth movement of DDT threatening Hiroshima in his position as ace. Um, actually, Alicia and I, when we talked about this match, we talked about how downright cruel Hiroshima was at times to Endo during this match and how broken he was when he lost it. Um, this match made it clear that not only was the younger generation catching up to Hiroshima, but Hiroshima would have to tap into a new side of himself in order to keep the tides at bay. Yeah, this match is, was really haunting for the way Hiroshima acted when he lost. It's mm-hmm. Hiroshima has this ability to tap into these emotions that play out on his face and like he's not graceful at all and no. handles this long. no he's not and in acting like this it's actually extremely jarring and extremely painful to watch you know in, in in watching it it's uncomfortable and it's it's actually an incredible performance in that way but there also feels like this sort of kernel of of perhaps um you know some shoot elements to it as well because of the nature of Takeshita being at play, Endo being at play, these younger guys sort of coming up in the company and Hiroshima needing to do a lot more to, you know, keep his place in the company that he is a pillar of, that he built, but this younger generation is coming up and coming up behind him. But his reaction to this has always stayed with me because it is so haunting, because it is so raw and it really has sat with me ever since I saw it. And to your point, as we were talking about him sort of being this ultimate Peter Pan, um, sort of this youthful, um, childlike character, there's something to be said for tapping into that inner child that hates to lose and is can be a little bit cruel. And there, there really is a piece of him there in that as well. And so I think that's really pivotal to his character. And like I said, just please seek out this match. It's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I, it can be found pretty easily on uh, Google, but I do think that they've put it up on the new Wrestle Universe. Fortunes do, however, begin to turn for Hiroshima. On July 23rd, 2017, Amon Surumi called Hiroshima out to the ring to announce that he would challenge Shigehiro Iri and Kazusada Higuchi for the KOD tag titles. Then Hiroshima's tag partner was revealed, and it was none other than Noah's Naomichi Marafuji. Marafuji was very clear that he wasn't there to be a guest wrestler for DDT. He wanted to do this in order to win the belts with someone as skillful as Hiroshima. They have a lot sort of in common here. They're the both icons of their respective companies and their partnership was a big moment of collaboration between these two companies that would go on to become cyberfight companies. On August 20th, the pair, later dubbed Harashima Marafuji, won the tag titles and went on to hold them for 217 days with five successful defenses, even defending them in the Miyagi Ironworks warehouse, which is just quite a match. (laughs) This reign came to an end in a really significant way. They lost at Judgment 2018 to the team of Daisuke Sakimoto and Kazusada Higuchi. Now, I want to talk about this because going into this match, the storyline was all about Higuchi feeling frustrated at being unable to defeat Hiroshima. Hiroshima had handed Higuchi his very 
first singles loss in the promotion in May of 2015. Higuchi had gone seven months into his career without losing a single singles match until Hiroshima. Hiroshima was an insurmountable task for him going into this match, and the entire story was about him wanting to defeat the backbone of DDT. He won by pinning Hiroshima with the Goten, and this was a huge star-making moment for Higuchi, solidifying him as someone to watch in the coming years of DDT. At the end of this match, Hiroshima and Marafuji agreed that they didn't need the belts in order to tag again someday, which they do in fact do in the future, but Hiroshima added that for the time being, they would simply just communicate with each other online, which I thought was cute. And this was sort of your introduction to DDT. Was their uh, their team up, wasn't it? It was, yeah. This was um, obviously a massive appeal because I'm such a huge Marafuji fan and I was, you know, enamored with Hiroshima. So it made sense to sort of start with them. And it ended up being the perfect introduction to DDT because there's some, there's just excellent matches throughout this, mm-hmm. this title run. And it sort of runs the gamut of what makes DDT a really fun and great company to watch. You have you have the excellent match with um, Takanashi and Sakaguchi, which is a phenomenal match. You have like these great moments between Sakaguchi and Marafuji. Hiroshima and Marafuji are also like peak themselves with each other in it, which is just really fun. That's a great match. And then the Ironworks Factory match is like that was like was my first like introduction to some of the like crazier DDT yeah, matches that are like venues. not in like traditional venues so and I, and I love that match that match is really fun for me like being such a big Mara Fuji fan having really only watched him do things within like Noah or like some stuff like in all Japan and um some of the more traditional stuff he's done this was like getting to watch him take like the most fun vacation ever <laughs> and do things that felt very much within like his personality and his type of humor. And like, it was just really cool to see him do that within DDT. And like I said, the perfect way to get me interested in watching more DDT because I've become a fan from there. Yeah. So if you are interested in Mara Fuji or a fan of Mara Fuji and want to check out Hiroshima, want to check out DDT, that is a very, very good starting point as well. So thank you for sharing that little personal story. On April 29th, 2018, Hiroshima faced his Smile Squash stablemate, Yuko Miyamoto, in a match for the Extreme Championship. Hiroshima defeated Miyamoto for the title, but it caused a massive rift in the stable, leading to both Miyamoto and Hiroshima's longtime ally, Yasu Yurino, to leave the faction. On May 8th, Following a disqualification victory against Tetsuya Endo, Hiroshima's last ally, Somo Takao, turned on him and joined Damnation, dissolving Smile Squash once and for all. So without a unit or any real friends or sort of found family unit, Hiroshima entered the DNA unit draft on August 14th, 2018, without anything to really draft any of the new up-and-coming DDT roster members into. That is, until Toru Awashi approached Hiroshima and asked him to revive their old faction, Disaster Box. And I just want to remind you that this faction made Hiroshima who he is today and allowed him to wrestle as his true self outside the hero persona. So this is just a really good way that nowadays, as he is in this sort of senpai role, he now uses this faction to sort of give younger wrestlers a start. And um, 
he accepted Awashi's offer and they realized they could not be a unit with just two people. So they recruited their first up-and-comer, and that would be Yuki Ueno. Ueno would stay in this unit for two years, recruiting Naomi Yoshimura to be his tag partner. They would soon be joined by Kazuki Hirata as well, who tagged along simply because he wanted to continue teaming with Toru Awashi. On February 17th, Hiroshima won the DDT Extreme Championship for a third time when he defeated Shinya Aoki. But on April 28th, 2019, he lost the title to Antonio Honda in a bra and blindfold match. A few months later, Hiroshima became Extreme Champion once again by defeating Jiro Kurashio in a triple threat with Endo Tatsuya. After winning this match, Hiroshima challenged Kanosuke Takeshita for both the Extreme Belt and the KOD at Ultimate Party 2019 on November 3rd. Hiroshima won and became a double champion by defeating Takeshita. With the win, he also became the first wrestler to become a 10-time KOD champion in what is so far his most recent reign with the title. He held the belt for 84 days this time, with only one successful defense against Yuki Ino. On January 26, 2020, he was defeated by Dio Grand Prix winner Masato Tanaka for the Openweight Championship. And I really want to talk about this one because Tanaka had gone completely undefeated in the Grand Prix except for one draw against Hiroshima on December 15, 2019. So Hiroshima was presented as the only person who could even hope to stand up to Tanaka and defeat the outsider, hopefully handing him his first loss in DDT. However, this didn't happen, and Tanaka took the belt from the irreplaceable ace of DDT, making him this unstoppable outsider champion for someone to dethrone. And eventually... Endo would do this on June 7th, 2020, becoming this unlikely hero for the company. And there's just something to be said here for how even indirectly Hiroshima really had a hand in creating this big moment for Endo, just as he made these big moments for Takeshita and Higuchi and even going way back for Kota Ibushi. At this stage in his career, particularly, Hiroshima's losses are just as important as his victories, and every fall he takes has this butterfly effect potential to create a new star for the company. It really speaks for how powerful of an ace he really is. On March 11th, 2020, he was defeated by Aoki for the Extreme Championship in another bra and blindfold death match. I want to talk about this because one of the reasons attributed to this by Mr. Hakusan was that this match was entirely empty arena and Hiroshima could not rely on the sounds of fans to guide him, which during the first few pandemic shows, Hiroshima was absolutely devastated by the lack of fans cheering for him, going so far as using a Walkman during some of the early matches with the audience cheering for him on a recording just so he could hype him up so he could fight properly. And I think that also really speaks for the kind of wrestler Hiroshima is. It was very nice when we started getting those first DDT cheering shows and he could do his little call again, which I will talk about just a little bit later on at the end of the episode. 
At Ultimate Party 2020, on November 3rd, Ueno graduated from Disaster Box upon winning the Universal title for the first time. This was a tearful moment for all of Disaster Box, and Ueno attributed a lot of his growth and success to Hiroshima's dutiful tutelage. This term graduation and the idea of Ueno moving on from Hiroshima's unit to take the next stage of his career is really important. Hiroshima looked as though he were sending his son off to college. And this is not the last time we would see that expression on Hiroshima's face. It kind of goes back to that expressive storytelling that he does. It's not just in matches, it's in everything. (laughs) In July of 2020, Jun Akiyama began coaching at DDT on loan from AJPW. Akiyama, much like Tanaka before him, entered the DO Grand Prix and was extremely dominant in the tournament, eventually taking the KOD from Endo on February 14th, 2021. The very next day, it was announced that Akiyama would sign a one-year contract to DDT, and from there, he set his sights on challenging people who were important to the promotion to prove that he belonged there. This is what led him to a match with Don Shokodino on April 11th, which is just a match that needs to be seen to be believed. And uh, But what was most important is that after this match, Akiyama called out Hiroshima as his next challenger, stating that no one was more important to DDT than Hiroshima. This challenge was made for the inaugural Cyberfight Festival on June 6, 2021. The stakes of this match were massive, and Hiroshima felt it. Either take the belt from legendary Junakiyama then and there, or allow another outsider to stand on the top of DDT for another young ace to take down another day. Unfortunately, Hiroshima lost, and this match is really one of the best on the Cyberfight Festival card. I really like this match. But his expression, and I know we've talked about this before, but I really, really cannot express enough. His expression after this match was haunting. And there's just something so deeply sad about Hiroshima walking away from that ring, realizing that while his influence on DDT is unmatched, his days as this unquestionable only singular ace or just could be behind him. And it's just a really jarring, like to take a word from you, jarring moment. And the way he lost that match, he's really like, he's coming too from being put out. He comes to so, so violently that he has to be held back. Uh, Yusuke Okada has to get involved and they're sort of holding him back. And again, it's one of those moments where he's reacting to this loss in the most like not graceful way possible. And it's raw and it's painful and it's very difficult to watch, but there is something so compelling about that and the way that it plays into where Hiroshima is now and what he's looking down the barrel of, because we know that Akiyama is, um, you know, the head trainer in the back Mm -hmm. and he does a lot of work with the wrestlers. And that is not to diminish what Hiroshima may be doing with the wrestlers that he works with directly, but Akiyama gets a lot of attention back there for being June Akiyama. And in that way, despite the fact that June is not of DDT, right? It's not his world. It's not where he comes from. In some ways, his shadow looms over Hiroshima, despite the fact that Hiroshima is someone who built DDT. And it's a very interesting position that it puts Hiroshima in now. 
Yeah, that's that's beautifully said. And it's just a really there's it's just a really compelling storyline, like leading up to this match and, and this match itself. And actually during the build to this match, he did defend um his KOD belt or KOD tag team belts that he won with BJW's Yuji Okabayashi as Smile Pissery. So um it's not like DDT's putting him out to pasture. He's still a champion. He still has these things going on. But I think you're right. There's this note of looking down the barrel. Um, it's just a it's a really strong term. So yeah, there's there's a lot to think about there. But um, but on the note of uh, smile piecery, this was actually a really good tag team. It wasn't super long lived, but um, it was it represented a nice healthy relationship between DDT and BJW, sort of calling back to uh, the importance of Hiroshima, sort of nurturing these relationships. And they defended their belts against Junakiyama and Makoto Oishi. Uh, before losing them to the young team of Kunosuke Takeshita and Shinma Katsumata on June 26, 2021. So sort of once again, kind of putting over uh, the youth movement there. And it's actually Shinma that got the pin, which is uh, important as well, because this was sort of a star-making moment for him. So you're you're starting to see these notes of all these young stars going through Hiroshima. Uh, he would win the tag belts again with young stablemate Naomi Yoshimura on October 10th, 2021. And this team was a big change from Smile Pissery in that it wasn't two veterans in this imposing tag team, but rather it was a team of Hiroshima acting as this big brother figure to Yoshimura. Yoshimura had had tag success before, but he was really in this tag uh, team given a chance to shine away from his former partner Yuki Ueno. Uh, the purpose of this team is really similar to Runaway Suplex in AJPW or even the current tag champions of Ashino and Ryuki Honda in the same promotion or even uh, Saki Akai and Yuki Arai in TJPW. It's these teams where the junior wrestler is allowed to shine and has these big um, showcase matches and showcase moments alongside their senior. Uh, they're being made a viable threat while backed by the support of this strong veteran roster member. Their one defense of the belt was against Yuji Hino and Bodyguard, and this match is unquestionably a showcase for Yoshimura. Yoshimura and Hiroshima both agreed to vacate the titles just before Ultimate Tag League in February 2022. This was a mutual decision between both of them, agreeing that they wanted to start from scratch and earn the belts back during the Tag League. This Tag League run was honestly one of my favorite tournament runs, like full stop. And it really shows off Hiroshima as a mentor to Yoshimura. This is a pinnacle of who Hiroshima is today to me. He's strong, he's youthful, but he's also a kind senior to his juniors, much like Makabe was a kind senior to him. And so he's just sort of this product of his training and his time in university and his belief and his love of DDT and his desire to succeed for himself. Vacating the belts and earning them back was as meaningful to him as it was for Yoshimura, and the two earned back their titles on February 27th, 2022, before dropping them to Calamari Drunken Kings, Masa Takanashi and Chris Brooks on, on March 20th. This tag team did mark a change in Disaster Box, and it marks a lot of growth in Naomi Yoshimura. 
During the King of DDT tournament on June 19th, Yoshimura defeated Hiroshima to advance through the tournament in an incredibly sweet and emotional match with a lot of affectionate hugging as Hiroshima showed just how proud he was of his junior. And I remember you, Alicia, marking, remarking on that match as well. It's just a really sweet match. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes in order to let them grow more, you need to let your juniors go. And Hiroshima sort of realized that. On July 7th, Hiroshima entered the ring along with Eruption's Yukio Sakaguchi to announce that Hiroshima wanted Yoshimura to graduate from Disaster Box and Sakaguchi wanted uh, Higuchi to graduate from Eruption so that the two could make their own way and their own future in DDT together. And this is just such a moment. I know you and I were watching it. We were crying <laughs> because it was just so, so powerful. And you can just see, and this is going back to that facial storytelling that Hiroshima has, where it's just a really strong moment. And it it meant a lot to Yoshimura as well. Yoshimura actually um, stated that he felt abandoned by Hiroshima afterwards. And that ended up leading to this tag challenge of Hiroshima and Toruwashi versus Higuchi and Yoshimura for the tag belts on September 4th. They would ultimately lose Hiroshima and Owashi, but it's really just a tearful moment where Yoshimura just embraces both members of Disaster Box. And you can see this realization, like, he wasn't abandoned by Hiroshima. No, going through Hiroshima is a rite of passage in DDT. Everyone has to do it. In order to be in the upper echelon of DDT, you have to pass through the gate that is Hiroshima. Takesha had done it, Endo had done it, Higuchi, Ueno, and now Naomi Yoshimura. No one in DDT isn't touched by him. And there simply is no DDT without him. So we're going to go through a couple of his accolades. Um, he has held the KOD Openweight Championship a record of 10 times with a record of 27 defenses. Nobody else has come close to either number. And I don't think they will for quite a, quite a while. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no. Especially with Takeshita heading off to America, I really yeah. it's, it's going to be quite a quite a task. Um, he has held the extreme title four times and the KOD Tag Championship eleven times, so just a lot of titles. He has won King of DDT twice and Ultimate Tag League once. Um, it is important to note that he has not won a single Dio Grand Prix, which is a fairly new tournament to the promotion, nor has he won the Universal Belt, which was christened in 2019. But I would really, really like to see him at least get a run with the Universal so that he can have won every single belt in DDT. That's important, at least to me. And I stated earlier that he has won the 2014 MVP in the annual japan indie awards which is held by samurai tv so i do have some fun little facts that i've gotten while translating stuff and just some character notes that i really liked some notes from uh, those interviews with sato uh, especially so his signature mic appeal which i had talked about earlier is him talking about his future dreams and goals for wrestling to which he'll say i will and then what he'll do like i will win this belt and the audience will respond with nande 
and he does a little gesture and he responds every time with because I train. So this goes back to sort of what I was saying with, you know, his his origin story with Makabe, where training is just a very important thing to him. His finisher is called the Sumato, which is a running knee attack. And he took this name from a 1999 video game that he really enjoys, which is Sumato in Japanese and is known as Deception 3 Dark Delusion in English. His signature match style is the bra and blindfold death match in which both opponents wear a bra and a blindfold and whoever can remove the bra off of their opponent is the winner. Hiroshima often speaks of this match style very fondly. He's very proud of it. Um, I think actually he uh, produced this match pretty recently for himself in an upcoming show. Um, On boys shows, Hiroshima likes to attempt a cleaner performance than usual he states in his interview with sato that he's aware that wrestling can have a bloody and violent image which some people sort of shy away from so he approaches boys shows with the aim to make it feel more like an after-school club and wants the fans to feel like they're watching club activities after school which i think sort of goes back to how important his university days actually kind of were to him so sort of hints at that When asked what DDT means to Hiroshima, he answered, it is an organization where everyone can push forward to the shared goal of wanting to make the organization bigger and better. He went on to state that when you're staring at the top from the bottom, so, you know, where DDT was as an indie, the athletes don't have time to, and I quote, drag each other down, facing in the same direction and aiming towards the top together is pivotal in DDT. So that sort of goes back to what we were talking about with sort of his statements on Kota Ibushi, where he did value what Ibushi could bring to uh, DDT. And that's that does come from a very genuine place, but he also wants to aim to the top uh, for himself. And when stated on why he himself keeps pushing forward, he states, I'm doing it because I believe tomorrow will be better than today. I thought that was just a very nice quote and a very Hiroshima quote. A fun one is when Sato in the interview mentioned that his smile becomes scary during matches. He mentioned that he'd been told that several times, but he wasn't really conscious of it. He stated that he simply smiles in the ring because he's having fun. Sato responded with, you have a sadistic personality, to which Hiroshima said, yeah, that's what they said. So take that as you will, but I do think a lot of his matches do speak for themselves in terms of his playful sadism. So I I think there's something you said there. On July 6, 2020, he announced his marriage to a woman who does not work in the wrestling industry on DDT's official website. At the same time, he disclosed his profile, including his date of birth, which had been kept private up until this time, revealing that he was born on July 6, 1974, making him currently 48 years old. Up until this point, his age had been a running joke in DDT with many wrestlers and actually Hakusan as well, uh, remarking that he was seemingly ageless. So our, our little Peter Pan never grows up. That's right. And actually, this reminds me, one of the things that I was doing when I was reading about Hiroshima, trying to get into him when I was like really new to DDT. Um, and this is also when I was home all the time, because this was like the 
earliest stages of the pandemic and I was working mm, yeah. constantly and I had a lot more time than I do now. I read like every single post he had made in his blog from the very beginning of when he started oh it. <laughs> and he's still going with that, it. It's still going up to that point in the, um, the pandemic. And I haven't been keeping up with it in the way that I used to. However, I highly recommend looking at his blog. He still, like, he posts the link to it on Twitter every time he makes a post. He posted about his marriage when he, um, you know, when he made that post on the DDP website, he did post about it in his blog and he included some, like, little details about his wife that I don't know if that was also in the official website post, but... The posts about his wife were really sweet. He kind of explains why he got married so much later in life there a little bit. And it's like very, very sweet. So it's worth reading through. He's very funny in those posts too. He is also a quite a good drawer. He's like a little bit of an artist. He's very similar to Marafuji in that way, who is also an artist, point, yeah. which is lovely. Har- Harashima also loves flora. He's really into flowers and plants and he's sort of amazing in that he loves this stuff so much he can identify all of it just by sight so a lot of his posts are him going for walks wherever he lives um and taking pictures of the beautiful flowers and like different flora he finds and plants when he's walking and then like telling you like what it is and like just like giving you some background on the plants which is amazing like it's just it's just something he really really enjoys but he's so incredibly knowledgeable and he talks about all this in his blog he's also um he likes to drink he is a drinker he takes a lot of photos of of himself drinking um on his twitter but he tells some stories of when he's been really really drunk on his blog that are just (laughs) like really eyebrow raising like terrible but just kind of like holy shit it's it's amazing you got home type of story so but you get a lot of that stuff for him being such a private man you get a lot of that stuff in the blog and at one point he was posting like a lot of photos of like his nephew and his niece whom he's really proud of so you get these like interesting pieces of his life through this really weird very antiquated blog it is really hard sometimes to kind of go through but I loved going through that when I was learning about him because you get this like incredible sense of of his personality and who he is and what he enjoys through it so it's it's worth it we'll link it in the show notes that you can check it out if you're interested in but he posts an update with the link every time a blog post goes up on his Twitter. So you can find it there too. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point is that there's something really interesting in how little we know about his past versus how sort of um, open he is about his personality and about uh, the things he likes uh, that you'll see in that blog. So thank you for shouting that out because it, it is really worth uh, looking at. You're going to get the mundane too. Like you're going to oh, get it's... him being like, I bought meat at the store yesterday. And then I was at the gym and I looked at the store across the street where I bought the meat and they put the meat up for sale today. <laughs> and I was really upset that I couldn't return the meat to get the sale price. Like you're going to get that too. But it's a That's fascinating. That's relatable though. <laughs> <laughs> you get like a real like fascinating look at like his just his personality it's like I wish more wrestlers had like accessible blogs in that way because some some of them do like some of the all Japan guys do but that stuff's all behind a paywall and I can't yeah. access it which is really mm-hmm. annoying pdx but Hiroshima's is free so there you go yeah it is it is very um antiquated is a really good term it's amazing he still uses it to me like it really is <laughs> um but I think that that also speaks to him uh 
And then my last little thing is that when asked in June of 2020 to rank his top three most respected wrestlers, Hiroshima chose Antonio Inoki as number three for his influence on Japanese wrestling, Sanshiro Takagi as number two, citing his kindness and ability to make a comfortable environment in wrestling where everyone can express their opinions freely. And number one was none other than his beloved senior, Togi Makabe. They're like the most Hiroshima choices. Like, like it's the, well, the Anoki one is more interesting and that just makes me want to try to figure out like his access to wrestling and like what he was yeah. into growing up. You can kind of like, you can kind of figure that out based off of, uh, based off of that answer, perhaps maybe he was a new Japan guy. Maybe that's where his, I can uh, see that. Yeah. On the new Japan side and the divide, he was going to new Japan shows growing up, but um, so that's really interesting to figure out how that plays into maybe some of his, some of his wrestling and some of his interests. Yeah. Him naming Takagi for those reasons. And then his just love and devotion to Makabe is just so wonderful. I love that. And it really goes both ways. Like, I want to note that Makabe remembers so much about Hiroshima, despite there being like 14 other people in that club that were entering at the same time he knew him for one year but their bond just was really solidified so it really is just a two-way street there and i think um speaks to how important those uh junior uh senior relationships became to hiroshima and um how he is just really this incredible force for the younger generation to aspire towards in uh, DDT now. And he's just, he's this unquestionable ace, this unquestionable uh, backbone is the term that I use, but that's really how I, I feel is he's keeping it together and he's keeping it afloat. And, you know, as these younger generations come up and of course um, DDT is known for having a really nice youth movement, it wouldn't happen without Hiroshima. It really just wouldn't. Thank you all so much for listening to and supporting Kickout. As always, we're just really grateful for all of your kind feedback, comments, and constant support of the work we're doing. Please don't forget to subscribe to or follow us on your platform of choice so that you get our episodes first when they drop. Subscribing to us and giving us a five-star review or rating on your preferred platform really does help us as we continue to grow Kickout and also talking Triple Crown. And if you are looking for us on Twitter, you can find us at Kickout299. And you can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y Star. And you can find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. Don't forget, you can always go to kickout299.wordpress.com. We have lots of things up there, uh, reviews, different match write-ups. We have different contributors there. So please check that out. And if you want to submit questions, feedback, or if you're interested in submitting a pitch for the blog or podcast, you can do so at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. We have some really fun episodes coming up for you. We have our relaxed fit with Gareth and Liam going over some matches we love, and that'll be on October 25th. And we have our special two-part Maruken series to kick off our rival series with the first episode on November 8th and the second episode on November 22nd. As always, make sure you follow our Twitter to see what else we have planned for upcoming episodes and projects. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon.